0: Hello, and welcome to Talking in Shul, a Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Tamar Fox, and I've got Zahava Stadler joining us from Toronto. Hi, Zahava. Hi, Tamar. And Mimi Lewis is joining us from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Hi, Mimi. Hey, Tamar. Hey, Zahava. This month, our first topic is Honeycake, a new Jewish magazine for kids. And for a second segment, we're talking about God. Why isn't God the topic of more Jewish conversations? And how do we talk about God, or why don't we talk about God in our Jewish communities? So for our first segment, we're going to be talking about Honeycake. So how would you want to
1: intro for us? Sure. Honeycake is a new Jewish literary magazine for young children. It's edited by Anna Kaplan, and the magazine is designed for ages two to six. It Bills itself as a print magazine for families who are interested in playful, imaginative Jewish stories and activities. So the first issue of Honey Cake came out this December, just in time for Hanukkah, and here we are in December. Uh, ready to discuss it. So in it, there are 24 pages of stories and activities created for this age group by Jewish writers, artists, and educators. Contents include stories, poems, songs, puzzles, comic strips, and art activities that help kids explore Jewish ideas. So we all had the opportunity to take a look at the first issue. um, And I am curious what everybody thought. Well, I'll start. Um, I I really
2: enjoyed this magazine. It sort of brought me back to the days of reading Scholastic magazine in the doctor's waiting room. Um, You know, there are activities like find the hidden object and um, little poems that are, you know, have nice rhythm to it. Um, But I also really loved, I mean, I think There are a lot – this magazine was very intentional in a lot of ways that I really appreciated. Um, So in the – I think in the editor's letter at the beginning, she talks about um, one of the goals being inclusivity. So you see in a lot of the illustrations non-white Jewish families and kids, um, female rabbis, uh, gay couples – just depicted without being, without it needing to talk about that. Um, I appreciated that. But then there are also like cool, not just illustrations, but uh, content. Like there's a Yiddish poem that's um, included, or the back cover has a photo from a photo from um, an absorption center in Israel of an Ethiopian little kid and a kid from the former Soviet Union, both who have recently moved to Israel. And I don't know, I just thought like, they really worked hard to depict a lot of different um, styles of Judaism or ways of being Jewish or languages, colors, people. And and I thought that was really cool. From an adult perspective, I'm curious to talk a little bit more about, is that cool from a kid perspective? Um, But yeah, curious what you guys think.
0: Yeah, I'm like very mixed on this. So um, the Kickstarter that started this magazine um, tells us that it was like explicitly based in some ways on Ladybug, which is – a children's magazine for, I think the same, like four to six or two to six year old kids. And I am very familiar with ladybug because we, my family subscribes. We also subscribe to cricket, which is like the, um, the one that's maybe for like eight to 12 year olds, something like that. Um, and both of those magazines have been around since I was a kid. Um, so they're, they're, they have a like long legacy. And it's interesting because I did not subscribe to either of them as children. So I don't have a strong attachment to them. But one of my closest friends when we were kids was obsessed with cricket. Like she loved her cricket so much. And she what she wanted most in the world was to be published in cricket. And she just really, like, loved it in a way um, that was like It's very memorable to me. It's been like 30 years and I know how much she still – I still think about how much she loves cricket every time I see a cricket. I don't think that any of the children in my family have ever had that like strong feelings about either cricket or ladybug. Like they get looked at, but they don't get like looked at over and over again. They're kind of like a passing, you know. Sometimes they get pulled out and sometimes they don't and it's not like – super exciting when they come in the mail or anything like that. So part of me was like, I think if my kids loved Ladybug and Cricket, they would probably love this because it seems like a very good Jewish version of that. And I really did like a lot of the things that Mimi liked about it. Like I liked how inclusive the representation was. I really liked seeing different kind of families and kids – doing stuff and like the production values of it feel very high. But I also felt like there were some specific parts of it where I was like, I, this is, they could do better. Like, I feel like this is a very like version 1.0. Like the main story is about a kid named Dylan who is black, which is cool. But then like, he doesn't really understand like why the Torah is important
1: Like the physical Torah, like the actual scroll of the Torah.
0: Yeah, right. Which I was kind of like, "Mm, that's not really the view of Jews of color (laughs) that I want to be going with. Like, they don't understand why the Torah is important. Like, that's a little bit hard for me to have as the kind of like starting point as a story. And then part of the story is like, he then has this roll of paper towels and a bunch of things happen during the day. And like, the paper towels are like the Torah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm feeling like I don't want to give too much of the story away, but whatever. One of the things that happens is, like, he sneezes on the paper towels, and at the end it's like his boogers are part of the Torah, and the idea is that, like, the Torah is the story of a people, and the story of his day includes the fact that he sneezed, But I was like, "Mm, I hate that. (laughs) I actually (laughs) like don't think the tour is like boogers. And I was kind of grossed out and slightly offended by it. Um, It was like I could see what they were getting at, what they were trying to say. And I'm like on board with the overall message. And I liked how they were trying to approach it. But the execution, I was like, no, thank you. So, Hava, what did you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I basically, I think I agree with the overall thrust, which is that I like that this magazine exists. I think parts of it are good. But then in this first issue, there were definitely some false notes for me, um, some moments that didn't land. I think, so I read through it before I checked the age range that it was for. And then I kind of had to check myself because I'm like, okay, two to six, like, if if I don't find the initial comic strip funny, maybe that's because it's not like geared in my sense of humor. You know, <laughs> like I need to I need to mm-hmm. scale myself properly to to evaluate. <laughs> um, and it is very sweet. And I think the illustrations in general are actually really good. There's a number of different styles, but they're all um, but they're all really nice and well done. Um, it's interesting. There's there's a poem translated from Yiddish. So they have it in the magazine in both Yiddish and English. Um, And a Schnee Baba or a Snow Grandma. And it's about like the the snow woman made out of snow is the grandma. And like, what are her nose and mouth and eyes made out of? But oh my God, she has no ears. And The way I just said that is cuter than it is if you read it, because Yiddish (laughs) is kind of stark, you know, sometimes it's a little like, you know, she's close to tears where to find a pair of ears. And that doesn't feel as fun. But the illustrations that accompany it are like a kid making ears out of leaves, out of apples. And and like it it makes it fun. And I think the artwork in general and the visuals of it are really good. and so I appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate that some of it is cartoon and some of it is photograph and it feels very broad and visually interesting. Um, I also like the creativity focus. So mm-hmm. it builds itself as a magazine for creative kids. And I like that there's, you know, a recipe, an art project, um, the sheet music to a simple song that it's presenting different ways of accessing creativity. Um, so all of that I like. Um, I also like the inclusivity on um, Jewish background. So for instance, throughout there are little, what look like post-it notes for the parents to give them information um, or background or something. And so there's a poem about making latkes. And then on the post-it it says, fried foods like latkes, potato pancakes, bimuelos, fried dough, and sufganiyot, jelly donuts, remind us of the Hanukkah miracle. And the fact is, if you're an American kid who goes to a Jewish day school or Hebrew school, you've probably heard of latkes and sufganiot. You may not have heard of bimuelos, which are part of Ladino-Jewish culture. Like, I like that the magazine is doing a good job with that. All of that said, this may be a, an unfair quibble, but the magazine is definitely making a real effort towards the kind of inclusivity that you talked about, Mimi, mm-hmm. and no one in it is identifiably orthodox. Hmm. And I don't know if, like, I have a right to be annoyed by that, because um, there's plenty of, like, Jewish magazine content for Orthodox kids, I guess. None of the little boys seem to be wearing kippahs in everyday life, um, you know. There are no like sort of signify, nobody's wearing tzitzit, like there is no particular signifiers of whatever, thing things that might signal Orthodox to me in the illustration. Like, can you tell if a kid in a winter coat is Orthodox, conservative, reform, Reconstructionist or indifferent? Like, no, it's just a kid in a winter coat. But there's nobody who's identifiably Orthodox. Um, and for something that is specifically trying to represent the range of um, Jewish backgrounds in many different ways, that did feel like an omission to me. mm mm-hmm.
2: I think that's fair. And I wonder, I I, I think a a lot of the things that I did find lacking in this, I'm curious what the next edition will include. The editor was pretty explicit that they're looking for feedback that they will incorporate into their next edition. Um, Yeah. And you're right. The photos of kids, modern, current photos of kids, none of these kids look um, identifiably Orthodox.
1: And
2: I don't think that should be too hard to fix. Yeah.
1: Especially in light of, I mean, if you think about the conversation we had with Shoshana Keats Jaskell a few months back about the fact that Orthodox media, um, way too much of it is in the process of erasing women and girls. If you're going to have an inclusive and pluralistic magazine representing Orthodox families in a way that is inclusive of their female members is actually pretty important right now. I used to
0: work for a Jewish website and we were always um, trying to get stock photos of like Jewish people doing stuff. And Jewish people doing stuff is always people who are like, either identifiably like Hasidic, like it's like somebody went to Williamsburg and took pictures of Hasidic people on the street. Or it's like people who do not Look Jewish in any way except that they have like a funeral home kippah on their head. And it's like, you know, the kind that like sit, like really like <laughs> tea like is up on top of your head and not like on your head. A little satinized, right? Cream like cone. it looks exactly like it looks like, yeah. So, and those are like the two representations that were available of Jewish people at the time. And it made me so crazy because like that neither of those were helpful to me most of the time. And so I think about, but I also, you know, we just got into the practice of being like, is it a person doing the thing that we're talking about? Great. That person could be Jewish. But like the problem, the the other problem there was that like stock photo websites are like, very heavily or at the time at least were heavily weighted towards like extremely beautiful blonde people and it's like there are many beautiful blonde jews but like not in the scheme of things they're not the majority of the jews that i see in my life Mm. (laughs) and so i was always like i don't want like every page of jewish content to have an illustration of like a blonde woman smiling um So I think that there is a balance, but I also think that I was often just like, well, this person doing this thing could totally be Jewish. And like, you know, unless I can like see the back of their head, I don't necessarily know if they're wearing a kippah or not. And this is actually like in a very live issue in my life is that like, I'm much shorter than my partner, so I can never see the top of his head unless he's like turned around. So whenever we're like saying kiddish or like, whatever, doing Jewish things where he would normally be wearing a kippah. I'm always like, are you wearing a kippah? Because I cannot tell. Like, I do (laughs) not know. Um, (laughs) and, uh, And I do think that it's like, well, some of these kids absolutely could be Orthodox. And we're just not getting a, like, big sign that says that they are. Some of them are clearly not. But that doesn't mean that some of them, but some of them may be.
1: You know, actually, I think the totally absent demographic looking through the illustrations here is blonde Jews. I'm not sure there are any blonde people (laughs) in these depictions. A couple of records. They're all on the
0: website that I used to work at. Um.
1: (laughs) Did you guys subscribe to or receive any Jewish kids publications that were, you know, available when you were growing up?
2: yes. I used to get, oh, that's what I used to get a magazine called Baba Ganoos. Oh, um, yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah, the, um, I think the editor and illustrator was a guy named Joel Laurie Grishaver, and that name is like, just cemented in my mind. I loved his <laughs> illustrations. Um, I think we read it at Sunday school and I was... I think it was, like, distributed yeah, at Sunday school, um, And I would, like, take it home after Sunday school to keep looking over it again. I can't remember any of the articles. Actually, yeah, I remember, like, something about... There was, like, the story of Rabbi Ben Bagbag and turn it, turn it, turn it again, um, but depicted in a cartoon. Yeah, that was great. I'm glad to be thinking of that again. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any others?
1: I mean, I received, for at least a year or two, I received Ola Menu, um, which. I think they had a partnership with various schools. So in my elementary school, like, hey, which, which kids in this class get Olamenu? And somebody would come around on, I don't know, every week or every month, like on Fridays and distribute to the subscriber kids. So for at least a year or two, I received Olamenu, which I, is just, that's Hebrew for our world. Um, I'm sure it was like it's like such a the name is such a strong statement. (laughs) It's it's really like, whoa, Um, I'm sure it was very, very orthodox. All I remember about it was that it carried Mendel the Mouse cartoons, um, which I'm fairly certain were like good behavior parables. Um, And they always ended with the Mm. line, Mendel the mouse is second to none, which I have no other memories. I do think it's interesting, (laughs) actually, that um, there's no good behavior parables, nothing about like being a good kid or a good Jewish kid or whatever in this magazine at all. Um, Mm. There's not even the Mm goofus and gallant equivalent of Jewish practice, um, which is that's from is that from Highlights magazine? I think Guvis and Gallant. Um, I think so. Maybe like there's there's no like there there are kids learning things um, like learning things like Dylan with his paper towel roll is learning things about the Torah. But there's no like here's how to do this Jewish thing um, unless you count like a recipe.
0: Right. I was going to say they're kind of like I mean making a Hanukkah. That's the craft. But that's not. Making a Chanukiah is not a mitzvah. Right, lighting a Chanukiah is a mitzvah.
2: Right, there's nothing here about like. It's also not even the, like the, the blessings you say. How to play dreidel. Right. Right. But maybe that's the freedom you get when you decide the magazine's going to be about creativity. That you don't have to get into big yeah, moral
0: stories. And I have to say that I found this so refreshing as a kind of alternative to pj library books and i say this like as a pj library author like i have written a pj library book and i still sometimes get like i just recycled several of the pj library books because i was like i never want to read this again um and because they are often like the story is not very good. It's just like, here's a lesson and we're just going to like shoehorn it into, you know, 15 pages of st- of story in scare quotes. Um, and that's, you know, PJ Library is very explicit. Like they are trying to teach whatever they consider to be Jewish values to kids. And I appreciated that Honeycake is not trying to do that. I do not get the sense that the editor of Honeycake is like, this is what all Jewish kids should be like. Now, they are being like, inclusivity is an important Jewish value, which is not necessarily or is an important is the is a value that we want to represent here, which is not something that all Jewish communities necessarily agree on. Um, But like beyond inclusivity, it's not trying to be like this is this is the value that you as a Jewish kid should have.
2: I actually felt like the value, the values lesson that I took away from this magazine was sort of like a a Montessori Mm -hmm. value. So there's this, um, the art activity and then sort of the parents corner is about um, using, I think they call it loose objects. So using um, things like bottle caps and corks and feathers and buttons to sort of unleash your kid's creativity. If you have this random assortment of objects, let them make a Hanukkiah out of that. And that to me is like, my kid is four and a half months old. So obviously, everything goes in his <laughs> mouth at this stage. But that's that was like an exciting thought. Like, oh, yeah, right. You don't need the markers. You can just like use objects that you find to create some sort of fun thing for him.
1: Yeah, it's very not a Pinterest notion of a kid's art project. Yeah, right. It's very accessible. And it's interesting, right? You're not trying to make a functional Hanukkiah. You're trying right. to like make a representation and you could use these loose parts to represent a Hanukkah or maybe a challah and candlesticks or maybe baby Moshe on the Nile River. Or, you know, you can do this with any Jewish depiction and memorialize it with a photograph and then move on. Um, and mm-hmm. it has sort of like a casual, free-flowing vibe.
0: Have either of you seen the TV show Creative Galaxy? It's an Amazon Prime show.
1: No, I haven't heard of it.
0: It is – do you know about Daniel Tiger? Yes. Yes. So Daniel Tiger is like social-emotional learning for kids with like little songs. It's like very loosely based on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Creative Galaxy is like the people who made Daniel Tiger, left Daniel Tiger, and decided to make a show and that's like very, very similar. The same basic idea, but instead of social-emotional learning, it's about creativity. And basically, it's about an alien named Artie. And he has these problems. And his thing is that he solves his problems with art. And it's really cool. It's really fun. And there is there are a couple of episodes that are like holiday themed. And there is one where they make a Hanukkiah. Um, hmm. And I think that they actually correctly call it a Hanukkiah and not a menorah. But I'm not positive about that. Um, it's not like amazing, but it's quite well done. It's a good example of like encouraging creativity around Judaism in a way that I think is really nice to see. I wish it was done like totally separately from other holidays. Like I, I haven't watched this episode in a long time, but I believe that it's like, there's also someone doing a Kwanzaa thing and someone doing a Christmas thing so it's less like the focus, but I could be wrong. Um, anyways, it's it's an interesting thing. I, I would be interested to like watch that segment and and look at the honey cake part and see kind of like how they are similar and different because I think it's kind of like building on the same idea. And I agree. Like, but that's nice. It's nice to have a like a less like make a thing to get the thing that you're going to use at the end and more just have it be like just have a nice thing and like have fun being creative together.
1: Yeah, which does seem like the general ethos they're trying to foster with the Jewish magazine for creative kits idea. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look on the whole, they're like not everything in this landed with me, but I'm excited that it exists. And I think it's really nice and looks great. And there's a lot of cool stuff in it and I'm excited to see where they go next.
0: Agreed. Same. For our second segment, I just thought that we would talk about God and we could probably do that in like 20 minutes. <laughs> should be easy. Um, <laughs> so how this came about is because um, I have recently been noticing um, how much religious Christians of all denominations talk about their faith because It's so personal and it's so much about their personal relationship with God. And I just am always like, I don't, I just feel like we're speaking a completely different language because I consider myself a pretty religious person and I think about Judaism and like my own religious practice all the time, but I'm always thinking about it in the framework of like mitzvot, like things that I'm supposed to do. And never about like my personal relationship with God. Like, I don't even know what <laughs> it would be like to have that. I don't understand. Um, and I have just been thinking about it a lot because I don't I actually feel strongly that I believe in God, but I don't, as I'm like starting to talk about God with my child. I'm or children, I'm having a lot of trouble being like, what do I mean by that? And how do I talk about that with someone else? Because it does seem very kind of like personal and like clothed in how I feel about me to vote. And then I started realizing that like, basically, even though I'm at Shul every Shabbat, and like most of my friends are Jewish, we never ever talk about God. And I'm just like, well, what? What that's so weird. <laughs> like God is like the basis of our religion, literally, and somehow not a big part of the conversation. And wasn't even like when I was frequenting Orthodox circles. Like in high school, we didn't talk about God that much. So and in Orthodox high school. So anyways, I'm just super curious how you guys think about any of this. And like, especially now that we all have kids, like, what do you think about talking about God with your kids? And how do you talk about God in your communities? Yeah, I feel like we can totally cover this in like 20, 25 minutes. Mm -hmm.
1: I agree that there's not a lot of God talk in my community. And I was trying to puzzle through why I think that is. And I mentioned this to someone and they're like, oh, but in Israel, it would be the opposite. Um, and so I, I will just for like just foreground the fact that I have no idea how these conversations are <laughs> happening. And maybe it's true that there's like a lot of theological conversations sweeping the nation over there and <laughs> here on this side of the Atlantic, we are just lacking in our God talk. But certainly I don't think it's a big feature of my Jewish community. And some of it, I think, actually is because it's such a prominent part of Christian conversation. And when you speak English, a lot of religious words sound Christian. Yes. And it feels like you're having a Christian conversation, even if you're not, and that is awkward. Um, So I think that's part of it. But some of it, I think is that like talking about God makes people itchy, like it feels uncomfortable. But It's so interesting, because like, why? Is
0: that like that's I think that's only true of I mean, not only true, but it's a it's true of Jews in a way that it really isn't of Christians.
1: Well, you need a certain amount of consensus around practice in order to have a functional community. You do not need any consensus around God to have the functional community of practice. And Judaism is in very large part about communities of practice And everybody can have a totally different private conception of the God that is the reason they're doing these things, or may not be the reason they're doing these things, and the community can still function as a whole. So I do wonder if some of it is the thing that necessarily has to bring us together isn't the God part, and so... We'd rather focus on the thing that brought us together and not the thing about which we may very well have seriously divergent feeling.
2: And I think for a lot of Jews, it's one of the things that they like about Judaism, that we don't have to talk about God, even believe in God, or have that be the focal point of the religion in order to be a part of the community. Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely true for me. You know, Zahava, I totally agree with what you were saying about um, English and the way that like talking about God in using English words makes me kind of uncomfortable. Um, but I had an interesting experience Thanksgiving this year. My family, we sat down, we all went around and talked about what we're thankful for. And my nephew is in kindergarten at a Jewish day school, and he hears the word thankful, And he just said, I'm thankful for Hashem. And you could have heard a pin drop in the room with my family (laughs) where we were all just like, yeah, me too. (laughs) You know, maybe it would have even felt more comfortable if he had said he was thankful for God. But something about hearing... In this family of, like, especially his dad is, like, not religious, um, pretty proudly atheist. And to have him say, I'm thankful for Hashem, was just really, really interesting. Because I I think you're right, Zaha, um, Tamar, like, how we talk to kids about, not even about God, but about how we talk about our religion, we end up talking about God... And it's not always comfortable for us as adults. And my nephew every morning says, Moda Ani. And yeah, of course, when he hears thankful, he's going to say he's thankful for Hashem because that's the song that he sings every morning.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting because I feel like I, everything that both of you said, I'm like, yes, totally. But then I'm like, but I'm trying to raise a child here and I want her. Know this is, I feel kind of weird saying this, but like, I want her to believe in God, I want her to like have some connection to God. But I'm like, how do I? It does feel like weirdly personal, but also like something that I should be like, this is important, but how do you do that? Like, I'm just like, I feel whenever I start to talk about God with her, kind of like. I want to respect wherever you end up, but this is meaningful to me. But also, like, I don't know if this means anything to you. And I don't want you to think of God as a man. And, like, I just, like, there's, like, so – there's so much there that I just always end up kind of, like, backing away from it. Which is, like, I think okay in that, like, I think for the most part my parents did not, like, talk to me about God a lot. And I still ended up with positive feelings about God but also not like feelings that like God is like too complex for me to understand so it's not like a very simplistic idea that like guides every single thing in my life it's just like something that I like wrestle with at times and that I find meaningful I don't know but I I just I think especially like this time of year when we're reading Brashit and there's like God is so much a character in the stories I it's funny to me that like our communities are not at least asking questions about like what what could we take away from this and like what are some ways that people think about this and what are some problematic things about it I don't know it's just funny to me that I really I I'm trying to think of a time that I have heard a conservative rabbi talk about god and i like like really kind of wrestling with like what are some of different ideas about god and i i can think of like a series of de Torah given by a professor who's not a rabbi about like how ideas about god at certain times clearly there was an idea of god having a physical body and like what did that how did that change over time that we like now say like god doesn't have a body even though like all over the torah there's ideas of like god's hands and stuff like that god's face so but like that's it that's the only thing i can think about and that's not really about like the idea of god that's about kind of like literary explorations of mentions of god (laughs) um and even when i was in high school like I just, we didn't talk about God. We did in my, in one class, I had did a whole unit on Yirat Hashem, fear of God, but it was like way too sophisticated for us. And like, I just, I did not, I can't think of what I took out of that whole unit. We we read some like pretty complex essays that were just, I don't know, I, I, don't, I can't speak for everybody else in the class. I was not, they didn't really do anything for me. Maybe what what you said, Zahava, of, like, well, we can't, if we, like, talk about this, we may realize that we're all in, like, totally different places, and that might make people uncomfortable and might be, like, divisive, and so that's why we don't, which I guess, like, that makes some sense, but it's also, like, I guess what is making me sad about it is, like, I think for some people, although definitely not for all Jews, like, lots of Jews I think just like not thinking about God is great is like how they prefer to be. But like, there are still some people who I think find a lot of like comfort and meaning in God. And it's weird how little of a space there is for that kind of conversation.
1: I think, so that was a theory as to why people might be staying away from that conversation, but I'm not endorsing it as a course of action. Like I do think there should be um, more talk about this. And this is sparking a bunch of like disparate memories um, in how God stuff has come into conversation in my education or in my upbringing, or um, so. My parents also were not big on uh, on God talk in like a direct and theological way. I think it probably um, that the word God probably came up most in the phrase, thank God or Baruch Hashem or something in that context. But there's definitely like credit being given to God in an active way when good things happen. Um, I also remember, I don't remember how old I was, but young enough that this is a very simple exchange that I was having with my mother where I popped some food into my mouth, like, you know, ate a cookie or something. And my mother said something like, did you make a bracha on that? Like, had I said the proper blessing before I ate the thing and I hadn't? And she said to me in this, like, both sort of shocked and also definite way, like, we're Jews. We don't just eat something without thanking God first. (laughs) And like, that's a very simple statement of what it means to be a Jew in in, like an upbringing way. Um, But that's the kind of thing that I think I would have gotten.
0: Can I say I have a similar story of like one of the few times that I remember us talking about. God in high school at an Orthodox high school was I remember one teacher saying it was like right before Rosh Hashanah and we were like talking about shuva and she was saying, do you think that you have eaten something this year without saying a bracha? If so, you have stolen something from God. Wow. And I just remember being like, whoa, (laughs) it really like kind of blew my mind. And it really made – I mean it's its personifying God, but it's also – like it made it so much more real to me and it made me feel bad in a way that like I would not otherwise have felt.
1: I think there was actually a fair amount of God talk in my high school education and I don't think this is just because it was an orthodox high school. Uh, as you said, Tamar, in your orthodox high school, it wasn't a major theme. I think in part it's because it was a girls' orthodox high school um, and that girls get to talk about philosophy. Mm-hmm in the like grand division of, of like educational labor when you have uh, gender division in orthodoxy because boys have to learn Talmud and law to a much greater extent um, in like the super traditional division. And that doesn't leave a lot of room for this. And I think to a degree, talk about God has been displaced by talk about practice and rules mm-hmm. about practice. That's a big loss. Because it divorces the practice from the God that is ostensibly the reason for it. So, actually, our erstwhile uh, producer, David C. Kalman, was giving a uh, class series once um, in the Penn community when I was there about mitzvot in a number of ways. And the first class was sort of like a big agenda setting concept of mitzvot, concept of the commandments. And I remember saying to him something like, okay, but where's the concept of commandedness? Like, where's the concept of obligation because you have been commanded by? Um, And that I think was very strong to me in terms of my notion of obligation. Um, And maybe like there was a a strong implicit God woven through my education. Mm -hmm. And that I think comes back to the, Um, Question of how to talk to your kids about this. Because I think sometimes we get in our own heads about wanting to say something that is true and that we need to allow ourselves to say things that are simplistic and that simplistic is a little bit wrong, but it's not Mm -hmm. a lie. And we have to like create room for ourselves Mm -hmm. to say things that are a little bit wrong for the sake of being able to say them at all, which I think is really hard to do if you take this stuff seriously.
2: I think that the... um desire to say the complicated and true thing stops, definitely stops me from talking about God. Um, But another thing that stops me from talking about God or my concept of God is a fear that my concept of God is too flimsy. um, Or that the times when I am thinking most about a God (laughs) figure um are th- those are times when i'm in need or struggling or afraid and that i don't think about god enough when i'm happy and thankful and busy <laughs> um and and i i have like a lot of guilt about that and it's as if my concept of god is only available when i need it not 24/7 So that makes me not want to talk about it at all because somebody might poke a hole in it. Like, oh, you only think about God when you need God. So what is that? Isn't it just something you've created? Um, And that's that's a very scary—it's very scary to talk about something that you turn to and need, but maybe also have a fear that it's not fair or right or— sturdy enough
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think about that too because i think like the way that i feel about god is not like deeply rooted in philosophy and theology and history it's like a feeling and so yeah it's totally flimsy <laughs> i mean it, it can be flimsy and it can be strong like like all feelings right so
1: i remember one conversation when i When I was in undergrad, um, I remember being on campus for Yom Kippur services. And in the afternoon during the break in services, there was sort of an optional, if you wanna hang out and have this facilitated discussion. And so we were talking about prayer because that's the thing you're experiencing most prominently on Yom Kippur. (laughs) Um, And somebody in the discussion group who i think of as a very spiritual person who's very rigorous in how they think about their spirituality she was a philosophy major and um said something about really appreciating the experience of prayer that she was having but she just really wished she had a sense that someone was listening that that wasn't how she was feeling about it she's like does anybody here really feel like someone is listening and i looked around And I was surprised to be the only person to say yes and that nobody else had that feeling. And I was like, yeah, of course. Why do you think I'm here? Like, why else would you do this? (laughs) Um, And I realized that I had this, and again, this goes back to maybe some like overly simplistic childhood notions, but like God is listening when I pray, God is listening to when I say anything. Like, okay, if you, Go to day school and teachers need to give examples of like bad behavior i don't know if this is true in your experience but in my experience uh very very often the bad behavior was lashon Shon like gossiping speaking negatively about okay. other people um the mm-hmm. notion being that like everybody does this everybody could get better at it it's like a universal experience that you know kids adolescents adults everybody are having and the notion being that like the things that you say carry a lot of weight like god is listening you know the, there's no notion that like if they never if they can't hear me what does it matter their feelings are no like god is listening to everything you would say and that's like a very deeply rooted thing for me that is independent of prayer but certainly applies to prayer um, the notion of god is like a constant presence who's always listening, always doing, always sustaining, always giving, always punishing, always always everything. Um, in, in the words of the like greatest poem of kindergarten, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, <laughs> Hashem is truly <laughs> everywhere. Like it's a very, like the notion of omnipresence in your life and in your experience is very deeply rooted in me and extends to moments of practice like Yom Kippur services no less than like the little things you're talking about yeah. in kindergarten. I,
0: I, I never feel like when I'm davening that like there's someone listening or some some being listening. But um, a few years ago when I was home for Thanksgiving, I did the story core thing, which I know I've endorsed on this podcast is something to do with your family where you like ask people in your family questions and record the answers and you like have them for posterity, which is a really nice thing. And we talked to my sisters and I talked to my dad about how he feels about religion and God. And my dad davens every day. And he said, yes, like a lot of the time I feel like I am talking to someone. Like I feel like there is someone listening. And, and like, I was just like, really? Like I, I just, I do not have that experience. I don't think I've ever had that experience, but it was so interesting and helpful honestly to hear that like that's why he does it and I felt sad that I hadn't like had that conversation with my dad earlier um and heard like oh that's why he davens every day because he feels like he's talking to someone every day and that is such a different like experience than how I've ever felt about davening and so it makes sense that I like have a much harder time with it than he does. Um, which isn't to say like, it's better or worse one way or the other, but just like, other than that, I don't know if I've ever had a conversation with my dad about God. And that wasn't even really a conversation about God. It was really a conversation about davening. Um, but it was, it made a difference. It was very meaningful to me and interesting to hear. So yeah, I guess like, This has been a very interesting conversation to me. I could definitely talk about this for another half an hour with you all. Um, So, yeah, I, I just I feel like talk to people who you feel safe talking to. Um, about God mm-hmm. because it might be surprising but I, I do think it's interesting and it's like if you can do it in a way that's not like challenging to people like feels like you are you are challenging them but just a, like it's very interesting and it's something that I wish there was just more of a, a feeling of like we should do this in Jewish communities because especially when I think people are having a hard time being like well what do you think about like what, what makes you feel comforted <laughs> religiously is kind of something that we tend to not do, because I guess we assume that we know, <laughs> but maybe we're wrong. But some people
2: are really good at that
0: conversation. True.
2: I mean, right, some rabbis, but not even just rabbis, just great at having that talk, which Yeah, is so important. And, and maybe all the more so important that those of us who don't necessarily feel comfortable having that conversation feel empowered to have it, because people, especially people who are struggling, need and want yeah. that. Totally. Thanks, Tamar. That was great. Thanks.
0: Thanks for being willing to talk about God with me. Okay, should we move along to endorsements? Sure. Yeah. All right, Zahava, what have you got to endorse?
1: My endorsement is actually inspired by our God Talk segment. Um, It's been a while since I endorsed a poem. um, And Given how long I often talk about my endorsements, I'm just gonna grant myself license (laughs) to read this whole poem and have that be the endorsement. So this is Questions About Angels by Billy Collins. Of all the questions you might want to ask about angels, the only one you ever hear is how many can dance on the head of a pin? No curiosity about how they pass the eternal time besides circling the throne chanting in Latin or delivering a crust of bread to a hermit on earth or guiding a boy and girl across a rickety wooden bridge. Do they fly through God's body and come out singing? Do they swing like children from the hinges of the spirit world, saying their names backwards and forwards? Do they sit alone in little gardens changing colors? What about their sleeping habits, the fabric of their robes, their diet of unfiltered divine light? What goes on inside their luminous heads? Is there a wall these tall presences can look over and see hell? if an angel fell off a cloud would he leave a hall would he leave a hole in a river and would the hole float along endlessly filled with the silent letters of every angelic word if an angel delivered the mail would he arrive in a blinding rush of wings or would he just assume the appearance of the regular mailman and whistle up the driveway reading the postcards No, the medieval theologians control the court. The only question you ever hear is about the little dance floor on the head of a pin where halos are meant to converge and drift invisibly. It is designed to make us think in millions, billions, to make us run out of numbers and collapse into infinity, but perhaps the answer is simply one. One female angel dancing alone in her stocking feet a small jazz combo working in the background. She sways like a branch in the wind, her beautiful eyes closed, and the tall, thin bassist leans over to glance at his watch because she has been dancing forever. And now it is very late, even for musicians.
0: I love that. Mimi, what have you got to endorse?
2: I want to endorse Rosh Chodesh Group. I had my first Rosh Chodesh Group um, just a couple of weeks ago, and it was awesome. And one of the things that we decided in our group was that um, we really wanted to be able to have great discussion, but also not to over-intellectualize and just spend our time talking. So each month we're also going to do something tangible, whether it's like an act of service or a craft. And so this month we, for Kislev, for the month that, is, that has Hanukkah in it, we made our own candles which I'm using to light um, to light in my house right now. And so I am going to share in our show notes a very simple candle recipe um, that has just brought me so much joy um, and reminded me that one of the things that I love most about Hanukkah is lighting candles and spending time just watching them and, and enjoying that. Coziness, um, so I have been bringing that into the whole month of Kislev, and yep, highly endorse both Rosh Chodesh group and candles.
0: Awesome. The uh, candle lighting that we have been getting in the video feed of you while we record has been quite lovely and very flattering. Oh, and good. I, I was thinking, <laughs> I was like, it really looks like Mimi is lit by candlelight. I wonder if that's true. I oh, am. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's so cozy it's so great
0: I yes it really is I I totally agree um I want to endorse uh as is my want two things the first is a hanukkah themed endorsement which is um hey uh, so alma or hey um is a Jewish website for like millennials ish maybe a little bit younger anyways um they had a um hanukkah movie pitch challenge um where they asked people for the their best ideas for the ultimate made for tv hanukkah movie and the submissions are so good like all of them should be made into movies but i want to just and um i will link to the place where you can read all of them they are so so good but i want to read my favorite one um Which is Maul Judah by submitted by Dan Glass. Nika Cohen, Tiffany Haydish, Um, Single high school English teacher, perpetual bridesmaid, and hater of the Christmas shopping season is forced to attend a white elephant-style gift exchange at work, where she receives a dreidel-shaped little bottle of schnapps, which she half-heartedly opens and drinks in her apartment before bed. In the morning, she wakes up to a world transformed, where the Starbucks cups are blue with dancing menorahs, there's a giant spinning dreidel over the ice rink at Rockefeller Center, and the radio in the cab is... Station after station of crooners belting Hanukkah classics like Well-Lit Night. <laughs> At the mall, kids sit on the shoulder of the jacked Uncle Judah, Jeremy Lewis, ironically not Jewish, played by Seth Rogen, who is aided in his present distribution by the Maccabees, Jenny Slate as the lead Maccababy. Can Nika and Jeremy reconcile their different experiences of loneliness and their worlds and find each other? mall judah is the hilarious story of what happens when love and a little magical dreidel schnapps turns our world upside down like that sounds like a great movie (laughs) like oh my god (laughs) would watch (laughs) straight to netflix and
1: i will watch that
0: and they're all (laughs) so good like some of them are extremely cheesy just like what you would expect from a like hallmark christmas movie but some of them are actually like funnier the other really good one which i'm just going to read because it's fantastic is Hanukkah from A to Z by Kelly McMean Alana Greenstein career driven photographer slash owner of the family bakery is almost 30. Her Bubby Francis was who raised her after her parents semi mysterious deaths in a tragic Sufganiyot incident just wants to see her married to a nice (laughs) Jewish boy before her time her own time comes Alana is heading back home for Hanukkah and has set up eight dates with eight different nice Jewish boys in the hopes of finding her Beshared and making Bubby's dreams come true. There's just one problem. Francis has been conspiring with the ladies in her Mahjong group to set Alana up with their grandsons. And one of them, unknown to Francis, is Anna's cool total smoke show bad boy birthright hookup sack. How will Alana juggle Bubby's hopes and 16, yes, 16 smoking hot Jewish dudes? nine of whom are named David. What will happen when her all-glowed-up, sleepaway camp sweetheart Zev returns home after four years working with Doctors Without Borders, making it 17 hot Jewish dudes and actually three problems? <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> like
2: I also really loved that one of the things that many of the stories, many of the plots rely on was going home for Hanukkah. Who goes home for
0: Hanukkah? <laughs> I mean, lots of people do because it happens to often be over Christmas break when you like might During have Christmas time break. off. Yeah. But like, yes, agreed. Like going home for Hanukkah is not a thing. <laughs> and neither are Sufkaniyot, um contests or not Sufganiyot, Latka contests, which is also a thing. No, that is a thing. That is a thing. That is totally a thing. Oh. Yes. All right. Never mind. I was like.
2: Like a fry off. Yeah, just like well, be,
0: to do like a creative latke, not Doing just a creative like latke, your standard. yes, but like a con a latke contest is a theme in a lot of these, and I was like, eh, I've never seen that
2: because <laughs> I like, have a friend who does it every year, and it's really fun. A
0: contest, the creative or? latkes,
2: creative latkes. Who can make the most creative?
0: Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Anyways, they're all good. You should read them. You should vote for your favorite. And I really need someone to invest heavily in all of these and make them because I want to watch them so badly. My other endorsement is more of a like question than endorsement, but also kind of endorsement. So recently um, we read the story of Jake in the Torah of Jacob and sheep and goats speckled and rods mating while facing a certain direction Cheating Levon in some unknown way. Basically, I read this section every year, and every year I'm just like, what is going on here? Like, <laughs> what is even the shot? What is the basic thing that is happening in this text? It is super unclear to me, and I have spent now quite a lot of time, like, actually pulling it apart. I have, like, read this out of the Torah so I mean that means like I've read these verses over and over again so many times and every time I'm just like I usually when I read something more I feel more comfortable with it I feel like I really understand the story and this is like the more I read it the more I'm like I literally don't follow what's going on and even the like Even if I kind of like squint and step back and I'm like, all right, I understand the basic outlines of what's happening, even though if like the specifics are still a little unclear, it's like, what is the message of this story? Are we actually supposed to believe that like Jacob was somehow performing some kind of magic with rods? That's weird. Or are we supposed to believe that he tricked Lavon, and the rods were just like a red herring? And if that's the case, how did he know how – know about genetics – like thousands of years before like the monk and the pea plants i just have many questions and (laughs) none of them i've i've spent a lot of time with the classical commentators on this and everybody's always like oh all of the mafarshim they answer these questions and then i have looked in the mafarshim and they do not (laughs) so if you have answers to what is happening here like i want someone to just be like this is what he's doing this is what the text thinks is happening That would be very helpful to me. If you know of like an essay or a thinker who has like answered this, I would like to know that. But without that, I just recommend like reading this story and then coming up with your own understanding of what's going on because it's very challenging, slightly fun, very mystifying. I don't know. I just like I need people to join me. And like, why are the sheep and the goats different? Why does it matter if they're mating in the general direction of Laban's flocks, (laughs) which are three days away? How would you even know what direction that is? (sighs) Somebody help me. Okay. Anyways, that's my, I don't know. Is that even an endorsement? But that's what it is. (laughs) A call to action. (laughs) Yeah. A call to action. Please read the Torah and explain it to me. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have a minute, uh, it would be wonderful if you could leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or let us know what you'd like to, us to discuss on a future episode. You can leave a comment on a po- or post on our Facebook page, search for Jewish Public Media or on our website, jpmedia.co, and choose Talking and Shul from the list of podcasts. You can also donate to Jewish Public Media at jpmedia.co, which is a great way to support our show and make sure that we can keep bringing it to you every, sing- every single month. Mimi, thank you so much. Thank you, Tamar. Zahava, thank you so much. Thank you. Great to see you guys. You too. See you next month. Yeah.